Let's pray. God, that song, Blown Away, I think speaks to every heart. We don't want to live mundane lives where we don't see you, where we don't see the miracles, where we don't see the opportunity to celebrate all the things that are taking place. We don't want to live unimpressed lives. We want to be blown away by you. So this morning, God, we ask you to to open that part of our, our minds and our hearts open to you to understand who you are a little bit better, to be challenged by it, to hear from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so brand new series called That's Just Like God. And uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's a great series to invite people to because we're going to take a look at God and maybe some unconventional thoughts about God that I think are true, but they'll kind of maybe a fresh twist for you. So um, I just want to tell you, make sure you come for the next four or five weeks, and then uh, this is a great opportunity to invite people. So to get us into this idea of seeing God maybe just a little bit differently, I want you to do something. You can close your eyes if you want to on this, but use your imagination uh, if closing your eyes helps do that. I want you to think about how you see Jesus. Well, I want you to do more than that. I want you to see Jesus in your mind. I want you to create just a, a, a slide, a snapshot, a movie screen in your mind. Put Jesus on it, right? You're doing it right now? See Jesus. By the way, if he's got blue eyes, see a different Jesus. Because <laughs> he didn't have blue eyes. He had brown eyes. You know, very, very like okay. See Jesus. Now take a picture of that and just put it in your back pocket for a minute. Okay? Hang on to that. Second question for you is, are you ready for a party? And I don't mean right now, although this is sort of a party. But I just want to know, generally speaking, are you ready for a party, because today's message is called "That's Just Like God," and it's to throw a party. And and the thesis is that when it comes to parties, there's a part of God that goes there. And yes, there's there's this is not all God is as a party, but God is very invested in parties. In fact, I would say it's one of the most undertaught parts of Christianity, much to our detriment. But I think that God wants parties to be a part of our spiritual practices. Right? We're, we're devoted to prayer, we're devoted to Bible reading, we're devoted to coming to church and being with... But we forget that God wants us to party, to have parties. Now, I know, please, I know exactly what's going on in the room right now. Some of you are going, holy cats, what kind of church is this? <laughs> right? And, and by the way, there's nothing holy about cats, but that's beside the point. <laughs> and you're, you're wondering... You're wondering if, is this good theology? Are things about to get really soft? Is, what, is, is this one of those churches that changes and makes God into just like, you know, this let's party God all the time? <laughs> you know, and they just kind of winks at sin and they don't take it seriously. They don't take the Bible seriously. They just want everybody to come. And so what they do is they just lower the bar on truth and they don't talk about the hard things. We're not that church. We're not that church. And this is a horrible picture. This is worse just because it's an ugly Christmas, I mean, that's just wrong. No matter what you say, that, that's wrong. So that's not what we're doing, but I am going to stick to my gun on the thesis of this message, which is this. That's just like God. It's just like God to throw a party. And the reason we struggle with it is because of how we think about parties. The reason we struggle with it is because we've messed up the word party. I'm going to tell you how we've messed it up. First of all, we've turned it into a verb. Right? I mean... So it's a noun, right? I mean, it's a verb too, but it's a noun. If you look up at the dictionary, here's exactly what the dictionary will say. The noun definition is a social gathering, a social gathering of invited guests, typically involving eating, drinking, and entertainment. 
right? I mean, it could be, you can do anything, but it's a, it's a gathering of people who are invited. You're in, come to the party, right? Now, as a verb, it changes a little bit. We, it's to enjoy oneself at a party or other lively gathering, typically with drinking and, and music. And we know that. It's called two-party, right? Now, if you want the real definition, you forget the standard dictionary, and you go to the urban dictionary, and you look up what they say, right? So here's what the Urban Dictionary says. When people meet at someone's house, get drunk, use illegal substances like weed and coke, and trash the place completely. That's what, when someone says, hey, you know, I used to party with them. That's what they mean when they say that. And in this room, it's all, we, I used to do that. I know how that goes in this room, right? So by the way, how many of you go, yeah, I gave that up when I got Jesus. I used to, I used to party. I used to, you liars. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's a sin, too. All right, so <laughs> the Urban Dictionary goes on and says not only is that what it means, but let's use it in context for conversation, right? So Sarah says, hey, I'm having a few people over tonight, but keep it quiet, okay, John? And John says, hey, everybody, party at Sarah's place. <laughs> and this is where it separates from a party of invited guests to everybody showing up and partying to, together. Now, the Urban Dictionary view and our use of a, of a party as a verb like that isn't new. It's where sin will take us, and will take us especially when it comes to social gatherings or, or parties if we allow it to. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul talks about this, and I want you to, he's talking about party as a verb in here. There's a biblical description of what can happen. Remember, this, this is not what we're talking about. This is not the kind of party we're talking about, but here's what Paul says. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, before we show you the results, when you follow means when you are devoted to, when that is the leader of your life, when you let your sin nature just go wherever, you want what you want, you get what you get when you want it, and you'll just make this, because I want it. So I'm going to go do that. It feels, it's an impulsive way to live. It's a, it's a flesh-driven, the Bible would call it, life, right? So when you follow, it doesn't mean if I screw up, if I've ever done this, okay, because that's going to be important. Some of you, but it means if, if you're devoted to it. Here we go. Uh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, right? You might want to keep a checklist here. Check, right? Impurity, yeah, been there. Lustful pleasures, mm-hmm. Idolatries, I don't remember it, but I'm sure. Sorcery, I don't remember that at all from my own party days. Hostility, yeah. Quarreling, yeah. Jealousy, yeah. Outburst of anger, yeah. Some of the parties I was involved in, I saw that kind of stuff. Selfish ambition, dissension, division. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He doesn't need to spell them all out. We can, we, we can go there, right? We know, we know what he's talking about. He goes, when you are led by the sinful nature, self-indulgence will rule, and it will take you to all kinds of dark places. It doesn't mean that if you, as a follower of Christ, screw up tomorrow night, that you're out. But listen to this last verse. And let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living like that, not anyone who's done it, not anyone who does it in the future, but anyone who devotes themselves to it, living like that sort of life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? It's because God's not God. Not in that situation. Whatever we want becomes our God. And we're driven and led. And God is, maybe God is a reference point. Maybe God is someone we think about at church. Maybe God is someone we think about when we're really hurting. But he's not our Lord and our leader. Right? But, but we're all going to sin. It's just a question of what's driving your life. So that's where, that's, that's Bible talking about parting. And we've 
gone along for 2,000 years. We keep it a verb, and we know what we mean when we say it. So there's a second problem. The second problem is we use parties to get through life instead of celebrating life. We use partying to actually numb up so we don't have to feel it. We use it to numb our taste buds so we don't have to taste our lives. We're just trying to get through and, and get to some kind of end it's because, because not numbing up is too painful, right? So we use it as a tool to get through. So because party has become a verb, Christians don't party well. We just don't. We don't even do standard parties well. We don't have a reputation for having fun. We don't have a reputation for smiling even. You know, I mean, some people, they look at Christians, they go, wow, they want me to join, but it just looks like a miserable place to be. They, I mean, they look so unhappy with their lives. And here's part of the deal. Some of us are thinking we're missing out because we follow Jesus. Some of us walk around going, you know what? I used to be happy. I used to be partying. I used to have a lot of fun, but I've made the sacrifice, and now I follow Jesus. And I don't have any more fun. And there are no more parties. And I'm telling you, if, if, if that's your image of following God, you, you can't give Jesus away because nobody wants that. Nobody wants to go, hey, let's be miserable with God. I would rather, I used to go to hockey games at University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, right? And this is, they still do this, by the way. They would sing this song. Do you know the song? In heaven there is no beer. That's why we drink it here. And when we're gone from here, our friends will be drinking all the beer, right? And that was the song that they, they would sing. And basically, it was like the song of saying, you know, yeah, you can give up beer and find, find Jesus, but you're going to be miserable. I'd rather be fun now and let my friends be fun later, and I'll just go to hell. And it's like, what kind of song is that? And I don't know what it has to do with hockey. Anyway, so. <laughs> but we don't, we're this, this puritanical part of us that goes, if anybody's having fun, they cannot be following Jesus. If anybody's having fun, they can't be worshiping. If anybody's having a good time, they must not be right with God. And we, we, we've kind of had this ingrained into us. Now, I will make this caveat. For the last 20 years, we've been training that out of crosswinds, right? So I'm talking about, you guys have a very low threshold for humor. I appreciate that. It doesn't take much to make you laugh. But, but when, you, when you look at other churches, and I get invited sometimes to speak in other contexts, not very often anymore because, well, they're very suspicious of me. But <laughs> when I go do that, I'm telling you, I'll make a little or a joke and the room is like <laughs> and inside they're going I want to laugh I think it was meant to be funny but I'm not sure it's legal and so they hold back all that stuff it's very this is so easy and wonderful to talk to you people because you're normal and, and well <laughs> okay lying is a sin we talked about that a minute ago um <laughs> All right, so, so this is why Christians, generally speaking, we've got a bad reputation for fun, and we don't party well. We don't laugh and smile the way, the way we should. So let me just kind of show it to you in a different way. You've heard the, 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 the phrase, says no one ever, right? You, so someone says, writes down, you know, um, someone came to their boss and said, you know what, I'm getting too much vacation time, says no one ever right? This is that kind of phrase. You're paying me too much. Here's some of my money back. Says no one ever, right? So let me just give you a few says no one ever statements, right? Be sure to invite the Christians. Says no one ever in the world. Let's go to church. I just need to laugh. 
says no one ever. I know, maybe here's an exception, right? What this party needs is some fully devoted followers of Jesus. <laughs> says no one ever, right? Be sure to invite the pastor and his wife. Uh, last night I gave the same message, obviously, and afterwards somebody says, hey, we're having pizza at our house. Do you want to come? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're coming. <laughs> I'm bringing my wife. All right, so, so we have this reluctance to celebrate, and it makes us, collectively speaking, Christians very dull people. And, and they view, because we follow God and represent God, it makes God look like a killjoy and it makes us look like killjoys. And, and you can't communicate the good news of God like that. That's not God. That's not his spirit. That's not who he is. And I'm going to show that to you in a moment. At the heart of God is much more. Before I do that, though, I want to, I want to tell you there are some people who are working at changing the culture of Christianity in the United States. They're working at helping us to laugh and to smile, and not just our church, but, but churches across the land. And their name, what we call these people, these professionals, is an oxymoron. They're called Christian comedians, right? It's like a contradiction in terms. And I just put a, we, we put together a quick clip. Um, okay, so it's not that quick. It's about three minutes and 55 seconds, and it's just a present for you, okay? So watch, and if it's funny, you know, laugh. We're doing comedy at a church. What's so amazing about doing comedy at church, when I was a kid, laughing at church was illegal. You couldn't laugh at church. I remember one time laughing at church because this lady was jumping around and her wig fell off. So, that stuff was funny. Her wig fell off and then my gra- I laughed. My grandmother would pinch and twist. I can understand a pinch. You're going to twist? That's the devil. Because <laughs> you got different types of Christians. This is what I found out. You got Christians who are cool. You can hang around with them. Iron sharpen iron relationships. Then you got Christians who I'm just going to put this out there. You ever know somebody that was oversaved? <laughs> Don't look at them. Don't look at them. You can't even have a regular conversation with him. He's like, hey, man, I'm thirsty. You thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord. (laughs) Thirsty for the Lord? Hey, I lost my keys. Could you help me find my keys? You need the keys to the kingdom. (laughs) My God, I didn't drive a kingdom. I drove a Toyota. I know as soon as I said oversaved, some of y'all had somebody in mind, but if you didn't, somebody had you in mind. I got an aunt that's oversaved. She messes up television shows for us. We're watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition. The beginning of the show, they always tell you the sad story about the people. My aunt going to start praying for them. Lord, help them get a new house, Lord. Just... They're going to get a new house. They're going to get a new house. She's like, yes, you got to believe. I'm like, no, you got to have cable is what you got to do. That's what, you know, anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Right here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> but hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us. 
feel free to join us, but don't feel like you got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand raises. Say you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow. Hands in the pockets, a little elbow flap. You're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throw in a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. So the first guy's name is Michael Jr. Yes, you can Google him and you can watch a lot more of his, his humor. Tim Hawkins. And there's other, type in Christian comedian, Google it, you can have. But aren't those guys wonderful? And, and there's gals too. But, and, and what they're doing is changing, um, they're giving permission to celebrate, to party, to laugh again. And we have lost that. Now, I know I, some of you are like, yes, I'm so in on this. When last night someone came to me and said, you know, Doug, I've gone to church for years. And I said, you know, and he said, I've never heard a message. I've always complained. I've never heard a message about celebration, about partying, about joy like this. And tonight it happened. You know, so it was all happy afterwards. But the thesis of the message is God wants parties to be a part of our spiritual practices. Not just something we do here and there, but something we intentionally do regularly. God wants parties among his people, and he always has. So let me just kind of run you through the scripture on this. So think back to creation, Genesis 1. Do you remember God created in phases? We call them days, right? And he made the sun and the star and the moons, and he paused and he goes, ah, oh, it's good. And then he made the earth and the plants and the trees and the water and the land and, and animals. And after each kind of phase, he pauses and says it's good. And then he created humans and he says it's very good, right? And when we read that, the question is, who is he talking to? Right? And you could say, well, he's talking, um, God's talking to himself, right? Because there's three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the three of them together, high five, but they're one. But that's confusing too. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think so. I think, I think it's the angels, that he's talking, I think the angels are watching in, and I didn't have any way of, I mean, it's just what I've thought, and how do I, how do I know that or don't know that, and now I know it. Now I know it, because they came across this passage in Job. Do you remember the book of Job? Job is doing great in life, and God allows Satan to take away a whole bunch of things to see if Job will keep on following God, keep on worshiping God, even though his life is completely train wrecked, you know, from losing his kids and his farmland and his, his wealth. His wife just turns and says, you should curse God and die. That's what you should do. 
You know, give it up. You've got nothing left. You've got boils all over your body. Your friends are worthless. And they're just sitting there trying to cope. So then there's 37 chapters of people giving Job advice and asking questions. And Job is starting to drain out his faith. And who wouldn't? It's just a horrible situation. And he's asking God all these questions. And God, in chapter 38, God, after all that silence, God speaks to Job. And here's that encounter. It says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. So there's this wind. I think of a tight, you know, like a, a tornado in front of him. And he says this, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? By the way, this is not a party. At this moment when God comes, this is the woodshed, right? Job, let's talk about this. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, right? Gird your loins. Put on your big boy pants. Whatever it is, you're about to have this conversation with God because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? In other words, where were you in Genesis 1? Where were you when I created all of this, when I thought about it? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined everything's dimensions, this world, and stretched out the surveying line? You don't even know how I created. I'm going to use human terms to describe it, but where were you? What do you know about it? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang? And I'm not sure exactly what that refers to staying together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Now, do you hear what he's saying? As he was creating, the angels and whatever the morning stars are were throwing a party. They were saying, now they weren't going, oh, no, no, they weren't doing that. They were shouting for joy. They were high-fiving each other. Going, Look what he's doing now. Look what he's doing now. Pointing at God. And this, we got to celebrate this. So all the way through, every time God says it's good, I think the angels are going, it is good. It's awesome. Look what God is doing. So God and the angels celebrated or partied, if you take away all the verb connotations that we use, right? They partied at creation. It was, it was so much fun for God to do that. It was so much fun for the angels to be there and be a part of it. Okay, so just capture that. Now we're going to continue through the whole Old Testament. If you read it through, you're going to find out that as you go through the history of Israel, all these different feasts and festivals are being established that the Israelites are supposed to celebrate annually. And, and what we think of when we hear these things is, okay, some Jewish holiday and we move on. But they weren't like just Jewish religious holidays. They were feasts and they were festivals. And yes, God was at the heart of it and the center of them and was supposed to be. But they had a ball together. They were having fun. They looked forward to them. They served two purposes. The first purpose was communal, which was just kind of like community, or, hey, let's get all of our friends and family together. Let's remind us, we are Israelites. We are God's chosen people. You know, hey, cousin, and they, they gather together, and they have, Thanksgiving is about the closest thing you can get to. Let's get your family without the football. Get together, and we're, we're hanging out together in this community sense, family sense, and then commemorative, which means you commemorate or you remember something. And so when they celebrate Passover, they remember how God rescued them from Israel. They do it every single year, right? When they do the festival of tents, they live in a tent. They're supposed to Jewish people once a year for about two, three weeks or something like that. And they remember the Israelites wandering around the desert for 40 years when they just lived in a tent and they had no home and how God gave them a land. So these, these gatherings, these celebrations, God's right at the center of it, but they're communal and they're commemorative. They're parties with a purpose. 
They're sacred, but they're fun. And we think those two words can't even go together. Can something be sacred and fun? The answer is, of course. Who do you think designed the platypus? If that's not a fun God. Or the anteater. I mean, it's not fun for ants, but for us, it's a riot to see those things, right? These are parties with a purpose. God is funny from the get-go. He's celebrative from the very beginning. We know this, by the way. We do it intuitively to ourselves. It's part of our nature. Why is it part of our nature? Because we're creating the image of God. And so we have parties. We have graduation parties for a purpose to, you know, celebrate the graduation of these, of these kids. And we have weddings, receptions, and showers because we're celebrating with a purpose. We have reveal parties. Well, we didn't because this is a millennial thing, but you guys are having reveal parties. And it's pink or blue, or if you're having twins, it could be both. Um, so you have those kind of parties. And the birthdays and anniversaries and award dinners and retirement parties, and there's a million different kinds of parties with a purpose. And God says, yeah, that's it. That's how I want my people to live. I want them to celebrate the good things, and I want them to put me in the center of it, of all of those celebrations, all of those celebrations, and the sacred ones that we do. Like when we do Christmas, um, Thanksgiving, those are kind of sacred. We want God in the center. Maybe we don't do Passover, the Jewish. By the way, that's the Jewish different ones in order. That's not all of them, but that's, that's the main ones, right, of, of what they celebrate in a given year. This is at the heart of what God wants for his people how to behave. So that's the Old Testament and, and all these feasts and festivals and Jesus celebrated all of those, right? So now let's turn to Jesus and, and the idea of parties because when you read through the life of Jesus, you find out that there's a lot of parties and celebrations he gets involved in, right? In fact, after he calls the disciples, the very first thing we read is he goes to a wedding in Cana. And it wasn't just that he went to the wedding. They, weddings in that, in that day would go for a few days they ran out of, uh, out of wine. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not doing this yet. She says, well, I'll do what you can. And, and he, for whatever reason, he does it. He provides more wine. He turns water. Remember this one? He turns water into wine. Not only did he turn it into wine, he turned it into fine wine. He turned it into such good wine that the hosts were confused. The people drinking the wine were confused because they knew it tasted better than what they had in the beginning. And usually you serve the good stuff first, the bad stuff second. Why? Because your taste buds get a little bit numb and you don't taste it quite as much. So then when you taste the worst stuff, you go, ah, good enough. Because, but in the beginning you start with, so he's got the good stuff and they're all confused by it. Now, that bothers a whole bunch of Christians that Jesus provided the wine, and this is not about drinking, and some of us have alcohol problems, we shouldn't be doing it. But Jesus did that because it was a party, and he celebrated. What people did with the wine was up to them to be smart and wise. Some people shouldn't have any. Some people could have a little bit. But he provided the wine. It was a party, and he was a part of it. When he called the disciples, he called one disciple named Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Matthew goes, i got to introduce you to all my friends. So Matthew has a party. And Jesus is the, the, the guest of honor at this party. And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm in. Count me in. Who are you inviting? Well, I'm inviting a whole bunch of tax collectors and prostitutes and what the Bible calls notorious sinners, a whole bunch of other notorious sinners. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, came to the party and stood outside judging Jesus for being at the party with these people. He, they turn to the disciples and they go, why does your leader, your master, your rabbi, eat with scum like that? That's scum like that. And you know what? I don't, the disciples probably didn't say it, but the answer should have been, oh, because he loves them. How come you guys aren't in there? <laughs> you know? Uh, 
because there's a little rub between the two of you because you weren't invited to this party, right? But they were judging Jesus, and, but Jesus was right in the middle of a celebration, and he was at the center of it. Uh, when you read through the Gospels, you're going to read about several dinners, banquets that Jesus was invited to and speaking at and interacting at, and each of those, in a sense, is a party. A party doesn't always include a cake and candles and balloons, right? I mean, it doesn't even take 10 people. It can be, you know, I mean, when you go to a restaurant, they go, party of two? That's a party, right? Or if there's four of you, it's four of you. If you have somebody over for a fire and a couple of marshmallows, that's a party. It's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's joyful. It's communal. It, it, Jesus can be at the center of it. Um, remember when Jesus fed 5,000? I don't know how you picture that, but I picture it like in the beginning, they're going, well, we got two fish and we got five loaves. Okay, spread that out to the people. <laughs> the disciples are going, really, Jesus? So they start, and they hand a piece, and they look down, and the bread is there again. They break off another piece, hand it to the row. There's more bread there. Pretty soon, they're throwing bread across. Hey, you need bread? You, I got bread. Look at this. I got more bread. And the feast is going around. At the end, they collected 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Can I just tell you, they didn't eat that quietly? They had a party. They, why wouldn't that turn into one of the best events, craziest things ever? And in the center of it was God. And the center of it was joy and provision and celebration. Now, that's the biblical part. Let me take you back, reach into your back pocket, pull out the picture in your mind. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Let me show you some pictures. Do you see Jesus like that? Or like this? Or like this? Or looking like this? If you're old enough, you're thinking, no, that looks like Keith Green with a kid. <laughs> but you got to be old. Do you see Jesus? If, if you see Jesus, if your picture was Jesus laughing and smiling, I want to tell you you are in the minority. Most of us see Jesus as either serious or scowling. Most of us don't want to look at Jesus' face because we're not sure what the kind of expression he's going to have. But if you see Jesus smiling, I think you get it right. Why would people follow him? Why would they be drawn to him if, if there wasn't this inner joy coming out? Along, not only parties, not only fun, not only all those. Yes, there's a time to cry and a time to laugh and to smile. There's a time not to party. There's a time to mourn, but there's a time for parties. Jesus knew the times all the time. and was fully engaged. So how do you see Jesus? Now here's why that's important, because how you see Jesus will determine how you see God. Remember, they're one. When we look at Jesus' face, we are seeing what we see and what we think of is actually how we see God. How do you see God? Do you see joyful God, a, a celebratory God? Do you see a God who says, you know what? I want you guys to celebrate. I don't want you only to party, but I want you to party. And I don't want you to party according to your sinful spirit. I want you to party in the spirit, in my spirit, according to my wisdom, according to life is supposed to taste good. Not all of it does, but it's supposed to. How you see Jesus will determine how you see God. How you see God will determine how you see heaven. And we get kind of weirded out with this heaven stuff. Right? I've got a friend who's part of this church, and I'm not going to throw him under the, you know, I'm not going to say anything about who he is. But here's what he said to me at one time. He goes, Doug, you know, can I just be honest with you? I said, please, because lying is a sin. And he said, um, 
He said, when I think of heaven, I just get scared. I have no doubt I'm going there. But come on. I go, what do you mean, come on? And he goes, well, it's forever and forever and forever. And when we've been there 10,000 years, we have forever still in front of us. And I go, and the problem is, I just don't think I can do church that long. I just don't think I can sing that much. I just, and, and, and the problem was, he, part of the problem is how we do church, but part of the problem is he thought heaven is only going to be sitting in a room like this forever, worshiping God, which will be awesome, but, but please don't limit worship to a room like this. It's a world like this. The same God who created heaven gave us this world first. He knows what fills us up. He knows what, what challenges we need. I don't know. I don't have a lot of information about heaven, but I promise you it is not a room like this. That might be the other place. <laughs> it's not going to be just sitting in an auditorium for eternity. It is going to be communal. It is going to be celebrative. It is going to have challenges. It is going... Everything that's good about this world is going to be better in that existence. And, and we're going to have a capacity for eternity that we don't have yet because I completely understand, my friend, if heaven is this for eternity, call me out, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I vote for God just to push delete on us if that's the case. I don't want to go to hell, but delete sounds okay, right? So how do you see heaven? How you see heaven is a reflection of how you see God. How you see God is determined by how you see Jesus. Now, let me take you one more place. The context of this is Luke 14, or the verses are Luke 14, 15 through 24. Here's the context. Jesus is having dinner at a banquet with the leader of the Pharisees. Not just the Pharisee, but the leader of the Pharisees, the text says. And during this banquet, Jesus has been watching everybody do everything, and he starts to teach according to what he's seeing. You can go back and read Luke 14, 1 through 15. 14. At verse 15 because all this is taking place, someone at the banquet table has low EQ. Do you know what low EQ is, right? Not a lot of social skills. They, this person has like Tourette's. They just blurt something out, okay? So this person must have needed a little bit of attention. He blurt something out. Here's how the Bible records it. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed or blurted out, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. Right? There's no context for it. He just blurts it out. What is he saying? He's saying, heaven is going to be an awesome party. That's what he yells out. And Jesus piggybacks on that. And he teaches something. Here's what he says next. Verse 16. Jesus replied to that blurred out with this story. A man prepared a great feast, a big party, and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the party, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it, so please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen, in other words, a new John Deere, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Okay, so what are they saying? They're saying, you know what? This party sounds nice, but we're busy people. We got to work. We got our business to take care of. So our excuse is business. The third guy had a different excuse. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Do you understand what he did? (laughs) 
right? I mean, he goes, I, I want to come, but I just got married. The old ball and chain, she ain't letting me come. And the bus backs up forward. Now, when you read this story, there's one thing that does impress me about these guys. I know they all turn it down, but the thing that impresses me is they all RSVP'd. A lost art in our culture, <laughs> right? I've been going to a lot of weddings. I do a lot of weddings. I'm just telling you, you people are terrible at RSVPing. It is a important, this is a free side public service announcement. Please, RSVP when you get invited somewhere. All right, so that was for free. Here we go. The servant returned and told his master what they'd said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Invite anybody in town. All the people that you walk by every day, they're begging, invite, get them up. Bring them in. Help them find a place to sit. Up, invite the people that are the least of these to come to this. People, those other people think they're too good, too busy? Fine. Let's invite the rest of the, the town. After the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. Right? So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges. In other words, beat the bushes is what it says. Beat the bushes and urge anyone you find to come. Now listen, they went to the country lanes what kind of music do you think those people are listening to? <laughs> and God says, it's okay. Country music people, come on in. It's all right. <laughs> no, why are you groaning? You're invited. It's okay. <laughs> Urge anyone you come to come so that the house will be full. Right? Because everybody, everybody gets invited. There's more room. There's more room. There's more room. You're all invited to this party of the, of the master. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste in my banquet. Now, if you're a Pharisee and you're hearing this, this is harsh. In fact, I would say if you're Jewish and you're hearing this, if you were there hearing from Jesus because you were the first ones invited and Jesus is saying the kingdom is going to get a lot bigger. You guys aren't responding. But it applies to us. We are the the bush hiders. We're the hedge people. No matter what kind of music we listen to. And God says, you're all invited. You're all invited in. Why was the master so frustrated? I know what my answer would be if, it was me, if I was the master. It'd be because rejection hurts. When, when you invite people and you know that they didn't come because they're just making excuses, it kind of hurts. Right? I mean, Parties are costly, right? By the way, when I shared this with my wife before I gave the message, she goes, yeah, and the women are paying the price. <laughs> Who cleans the house? Who gets the food ready? Who da 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 And I go, okay, Lori, I'm giving the message, not you. Let me just go. <laughs> but your point is well taken. Rejection hurts. Parties are costly. And when Jesus is telling the story, you probably figured out God is the master. He's the master of the story. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the master of heaven. He's talking about the party in heaven, the banquet in heaven. God is the master. God is throwing the party, and God has paid the price. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. I'm paying the price for the party, for all of our sins to be forgiven on the cross so that you get invited to this banquet in heaven that begins on earth in a relationship, but, but it gets up to a whole other level when we're in heaven together. Right? And I'm telling you, it's just like God to do that. God is a God who embraces celebration, who embraces the party, who loves smiles, who enjoys humor, who loves when we get together and, and our family and friends and loving and smiling. 
and enjoying what he's created for us and enjoying him in the middle of it. I found this picture and I just thought, maybe this is about as close to the banquet in heaven as, as, as a picture could possibly be. Right? And I know it's, it's, it's in Asia somewhere. But look at the smiles and all. Have you ever seen so many Asian people smile at one time? I mean, and it doesn't matter what race. I mean, because they're at a banquet. Because there's plenty. Now, that's not eternity. We're not going to just sit and fill our gullet for the rest of our lives. That's not as, for the eternity and thousands and thousands of years and sit at that table. No, that's not heaven. But it's a part of heaven. It's a picture of God says, this is, this is for everyone who says yes. Who says yes to the master. So when I asked you, are you ready for a party? That's what I'm asking you. Are you ready for that? Don't you want that kind of relationship with God? Don't you want your life to be on over? Don't you want our church to be like that? Don't you want your relationships to be like that? Now, I've got a couple to-dos. First of all, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, right? We, we, we're not here. We're, we're here because we're following Jesus, right? Can we start acting like God is good? Can, can, can we start laughing and smiling, enjoying and savoring and put God right at the heart of it? Can we stop mulling around acting like we're missing out on a former life that filled us up because it didn't? Can we smile, laugh, and play with others? Can we throw some more parties and include more people? When we do this canoe barbecue thing at our our house, and I'm going to invite some neighbors this year, right? My neighbors. Please be kind to them. I'm hoping that will be like a real positive experience. In fact, you can invite some friends too. All you have to do is sign them up. And you come to this Christian party and nobody's going to preach at them. We're just going to have fun together and Christ will be in the middle of it even though we're not singing worship songs. Right? Can we throw more parties? And by the way, it doesn't have to be a big canoe thing. Can we have some more campfires? Can we go, hey, Friday night, who should we invite over for playing some card games at our table? Yeah, it's legal. You can play cards now. That's 50 years ago you couldn't do that as a Christian. Why? Because it looked like too much fun, right? Can we throw more parties and include more people? Can we include people outside so they actually see how cool and awesome it is to know God and to follow God, not how miserable we are? God wants parties to be part of our spiritual practices. And he wants us to bring the joy of God outside of our own little homes, our own little church to the the world. That's for the Christians. Now, for those of us who are considering God, we know we're not following God. We've kept God at a distance. Number one, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that we've made it look so miserable. (laughs) And I don't mean us necessarily here, but come on. I've already documented we have a bad reputation. And I'm I'm sorry for that Sunday school teacher you had that was such a dour person when you were a kid that you made, well, if God's like this, I want out. I'm sorry for that preacher who yelled at you and made God sound like a horrible, judging, oppressive, not that there's not judgment, not that he's not truth and and justice, he's all those things, but a dour, judging God who would want to follow. I'm sorry that Christianity's done such a bad job at representing the love and the joy of of, of Christ, this full life, he called it, that he's invited us into. So that out of the way, the apology, I need you to know two things. Jesus has invited you to his party and saying that the Christians were dour isn't going to be a good excuse. This is between you and God, but he's inviting you. 
He's beating the bushes for you. And he's paid the price for the party. And now you get to decide, are you going to go or not? The question I have is, how will you RSVP? How will you respond? And silence is rejection. You've got to say yes if you want to be a part of it. And that's kind of a prayer. Because God is throwing a party, and you're invited, and that's just like God. Let's pray. And God, I think right now there's some of us in this room, maybe we're at a point where we go, yeah, I've been using, I've been using miserable Christians as an excuse not to deal with an invitation that I know is there from God. And so God, maybe some people in the room are praying right now that I've kept you at a distance. I want to come. I want to thank you for paying the price for the party and for the forgiveness of my sins. And I want to join the party and the movement that you're involved. I want, I want the, the joy and I want the leadership of God in my life. I know it's not all a party. But I know at its very heart, it is about a family. God is our Father. And God, some of us in this room just, we need to put away our judgment sticks. We need to put away um, the idea that we have to be miserable. We have to quit looking back at our old lives and look, lean into our new lives and embrace the joy and the wonder and be blown away by you again. God, help us to be people of the Master and who take the party of the Master out into this world. In Christ's name, amen.